Welcome, and thanks for joining us for the weekly podcast of Center Church San Diego. We are so happy to connect with you online today. You matter to God. You really do. Whatever your past, no matter what your circumstance right now, God loves you. And you belong right here. Hope starts now as we invite Christ to take his rightful place at the center of our lives. So let's jump in. online via podcast or YouTube. Um, so if you, you might be in-house this morning or you might be at a Starbucks somewhere, uh, we are glad you're here. I want to do something a little bit differently. Um, I actually want to pray uh, before I, I kind of jump into the message. Let me do that here. God, God, thank you so much for this moment in our week that we can stop and we can be challenged by your word. And I pray that we would all see it as, as um, instruction for our lives, God, that February, we've been looking at this guardrail principle, just like what Chris had talked about, and we're asking ourselves um, in this series, what would it look like if I had some strategic guardrails set up in different aspects or areas of my life? And we talked about financial guardrails, moral and ethical guardrails, uh, maybe relational or emotional, and as a result, We've been looking at uh, this definition of personal guardrails, and this is a, a little recap. It is what it is. It's a preventative measure that protects me from falling off of a personal cliff. The personal guardrail is a preventative measure that protects me from falling off of a personal cliff. And the idea here is that we construct personal safety measures in our lives where we decide, hey, this is as far as I'm going to go. This is where I draw the line in the sand. There are standards of conduct for you and for me, and these should be so personal. These should be so important to you that when you kind of bump up against them, uh, warning alarms kind of go off in your mind and in your heart that says, hey, I think I'm going too far. I think I'm going to uh, ride over the cliff's edge, so I better be careful with these guardrails I'm setting in my life. And the Bible actually calls that our and there's a theme scripture that's really practical. It's wisdom stuff. In um, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12, we're going to read that out loud together. It's up on the screen. We're going to read it on one, two, three, go. A prudent person perceives a danger ahead and takes precaution. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. If you're taking notes this morning and you have the ability to, go ahead and circle that word prudent. Circle the word prudence, and this word means wise. And there are key ingredients and steps to wisdom that God actually has laid out for us, but there are always hang-ups along the way. 
There's hang-ups in our marriage. There's hang-ups in our relationships. There's hang-ups in our finances and, you know, how we parent and how uh, we are in our workspace. There are hang-ups along the way, and there's kind of two temptations in particular that I feel that we can uh, kind of go through from time to time and the temptations that we think about. The first one is this. It's the, I hope they are listening. The temptation to say, man, hey, I hope that person was listening because they needed that message. Like, yup, that sermon's for them. They needed that, man. Isn't it funny how it's really easy to see the bad things in other people before we see them in ourselves? Isn't it funny how uh, we can see the areas where other people need to fix? Other people need to readjust. Other people need to improve on. And man, I hope my wife or I hope my husband, I hope they were listening last week when we talked about finances. Because she or he needed to hear that. That was for them. And we even throw the infamous elbow nudge, right? It's like the church elbow nudge. Man, hey, I hope you're listening. You better wake up. I hope that message was for you. I'm going to tell my friend that, you know, they needed to hit the podcast from last week because they're really jacked up financially. Like, they needed to hear that one. Man, they really needed that. But you see, the temptation is to avoid your issues, and sometimes we start to build guardrails for other people. We start trying to build somebody else's guardrails in their lives, and we kind of take the focus off of us. And I don't know if you already caught it, but we really value personal responsibility right here. We really value opening up the hood in our lives and unpacking what's inside. And because we do that because that's where life comes. And it's not the attitude of, hey, it's always just on them. Hey, if they just didn't treat me that way, then I wouldn't react. Dot, dot, dot. Don't skip the work that needs to happen in here. Don't skip the work that needs to happen in your heart. Be honest with yourself to make decisions about you. Here's the second temptation that we like to say to ourselves. Guardrails are just not my thing. Guardrails are cracking my style. And hey, I don't, I don't live that way. That's a little too restrictive. And uh, here's uh, something that I heard, man. And I, you know, uh, Josh, I can't really argue the logic of guardrails. You know, I'm just not going to do it. It's just not my thing. I don't believe in kind of living, you know, it just feels like I'm not really living in my life. It's too restrictive. I can't live that way. It doesn't really feel like I'm living. It's not my thing. And it's the temptation that actually says, hey, if I set up a guardrail in my life, that's going to get actually in between me and what I want. The temptation is saying, well, that's not my thing. Hey, that's for you church people. That's for you who, you know, don't you think it's and you serve it in my business, but man, I need that sale even more. I want to live wise financially, but man, I don't want to wait to buy that thing. And I want to marry a girl that loves God. Boy, she's hot. She is smoking. I, I can't wait. I want to drink responsibly, but man, hey, it's spring break. It's sequel to drink, though, man. Hey, come on, it's flag day. Like, come on. 
I want to pet me. I want to honor God in my sex life. Oh, man, when that pushes around, I'm just like, oh, I can't do it. Man, just God loves me. Now it's my thing. I'm just here. And these are the thoughts, the attitudes that keep us from setting up God the guardrails in our lives. And maybe if you had those thoughts, you've already made some of those decisions. I want to point you to two truths as we close out this series. Two truths that we can kind of see in God's words today. Number one is this. Write this down. Compromise doesn't eliminate temptation. It only becomes resolved. Compromise doesn't eliminate temptation. Hey, if I, if I just let myself go a little bit off the edge, or if I just get closer to that, man, that's not going to eliminate the temptation in your life. It's going to keep coming back and coming back and only becomes resolved. Maybe you were steadfast and you were resolute. You were firm on your decision to stand strong. You even built some guardrails in certain areas of your life that you let yourself in. Just get a little taste of that old life. A little taste of that thing that you really prayed for. And you know it's disconnecting you from God. You're like, oh, I don't know, let me just have a little bit. And you cheated on one area in your life and you let yourself strong. Everybody knows it. And once you cheat, you need to just have a little piece of it. You need to want to get easier to reconcile. Once you swipe yourself into debt, man, it's easier just to swipe that card. But hey, I know how that goes. It gets easier and easier. But I need those shoes. I need that thing. Once you compromise your integrity once, it's easier the second time. The third time around, the fourth time around. When you compromise what you believe, it doesn't eliminate any only because you're resolved, you'll do that integrity, that integrity standing in your life moving forward. And where you were once solid, once, uh, you know, where you were once protected in that area of your life, now the foundation has some compromising cracks. And the enemy comes in. James chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, what it says. It says, temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires. These evil desires lead to evil actions, and evil actions lead to death. Another translation actually puts it this way. When sin becomes fully grown, it produces death. And uh, temptation or, or sin is like a war. It's, it's tempting, and it's going to keep calling out to you, and it's going to keep you know, calling out your name. And the closer and closer you get, something starts to grow on the inside. And before you know it, you're falling off the cliff's edge. And, and when you let that sin start to marinate in your life, that bitterness, whatever that looks like, the thing that you're keeping from maybe your spouse and you're keeping from your friends and your family because you don't know what them to know because it is shameful. Internal desires, and there, there are those desires that are never fully satisfied. You never had the kiss, the end all kisses, right? That movie kiss, you know that 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 Drew Barrymore, that that whatever that is, that that one kiss, the end all kisses. We probably never had that before because human sexual desire, it's never fully satisfied ever. You've never made that that car purchase. To end all car purchases, man, there's always something newer. There's always something better. There's always something that's more efficient and faster. Maybe you've never had the meal to end all meals. And that was good. Now, I'm, I'm stuck, and maybe in the moment you're like, I, I can never eat again. 
that's it. But guess what? Next week you get hungry. <laughs> the next day you get hungry, man. My favorite food memory, yes, chubby people have favorite food memories, okay? My favorite food, I like to talk about food. Um, my favorite food memory, wow, this is bad. Is, um, is Thanksgiving in Texas with my sister. Um, so I, I mean, I guess you can see I'm Asian, okay? And uh, we grew up having Thanksgiving, but it wasn't traditional, right? It was like we have chow mein, <laughs> we had salt, pepper, chicken wings. You don't know nothing about salt, pepper, chicken wings, man. Um, and that's kind of the type of stuff that we have for Thanksgiving. I'm not, I'm not clowning on it. It's just that's how I grew up, you know. Um, but this one summer, uh, I emceed at my, my brother-in-law's church, and they have a camp. They have a bilingual camp for Christian friends out there. And I was a summer intern with them. I was a camp counselor. And I stayed there all throughout the winter as well. Um, and there, you know, they, 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 they do, they do um, Thanksgiving right, Stuffing, man. They had um, green bean casserole. Man, you don't know nothing about green bean casserole. They they had it all, and you know I'm an adult, but um, that was my favorite food memory. And I, I just swear to you, I, I ate so much. I felt sick. I even took some stuff home afterwards. Um, I was like, you know, I actually I don't eat meat anymore. I'm done. Guess what happened the next day? <laughs> yeah, le- yeah, leftovers. Amen. Yeah, there's there's leftovers. And I got hungry again. I even expanded my stomach, right? And now I'm even more hungry. It was an amazing meal. My favorite food memory. But I stuck. But I still got hungry. And no appetite is ever truly and finally satisfied. In fact, the more you feed an appetite, guess what happens to it? It grows. It continues to grow. The more you feed it, the more it grows. And Conversely, the more you starve an appetite, the more that it shrinks and becomes manageable. Here's the second truth. You want to write this down. Guardrails are best where your appetites are most manageable. Guardrails are best where your appetites are most manageable. Man, the further you stay back from certain lines, the, the more you stay back from certain struggles, the easier it is to say no to that temptation. And installing these guardrails where, you know, your temptations are less powerful, it actually keeps us from a safe distance from, uh, from disaster. That's just a fact. It's like Lay's potato chips. Now, you can't just stop at one, right? So i got to build a guardrail around 7-Eleven. But anyways, um, guardrails are best where our appetites are most manageable. And a big part of that is allowing God to lead you. And something in our churches, I believe, are really developing more well is being led to the Spirit of God. I know maybe for those who don't have some time, I'm kind of weird by the name of the Spirit of God, right? He knows that um, the Holy Ghost, but anyway. Um, God lives inside of you. We have a relationship with Him. He might lead you to certain things in your life. And you're like, you know, that's just not good for me. That's just not good for my marriage. That's not good for my finances. That's not good for in certain areas of my life because it's going to disconnect me. God, and if we allow God to lead us, He will, will show us the things in our life that we need direction or we need to set up guardrails. Romans chapter 13, verse 14 says this, But let the Lord of Jesus Christ take control of you. So don't think of ways to indulge in your evil desires. Now we wrap up the series, man, I want us to take a look at one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And he's a man of wisdom, uh, a man of resolve. 
allow God to lead them to believe them. And this morning we are looking at the make or break decisions from the life of Daniel. And uh, this is what Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, is what it says. It says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not going to say that that's because I'm saying King Nebuchadnezzar, King Neb of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it with his armies. Now I want to give you some little foundation, a little context of what's going on in this passage. And this took place in um, 605 B.C. This was confirmed not only through the scripture, but by secular history as well. And the Babylonian people, they were you know, the, the kind of the power um, of their time, the, the, the world power there. This was located in modern-day Iraq. And King Neb, um, he was uh, this, this, this king who surrounds Jerusalem with his army. And he does something really interesting. I'm going to read verse number 3 and on is what it says. It says, Then the king ordered Ashkenaz, who was in charge of the palace officials, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Verse 4, Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. The king was like, Hey, we need the best of the best to join us. Let's go ahead and pick only the strong ones. Pick only the ones who are healthy, only ones who are good-looking, only the ones who are the cream of the crop. So clearly, your boy would have been picked at this time, right? And the king enslaved royal families at the time because they were the best and the brightest of the land. This is what I mean by that. In ancient world, they're the ones who were the healthiest. In the ancient world, they're the ones who had the most, the, the most resources for the best food, and they were well taken care of. And then the king, who would put them in three-year training program where, where he would starve them of their culture, and he would force feed them Babylonian culture. This is a real interesting thing. So the king, he would conquer nations. He would destroy their cities. He would take captive their people. But in the process, he would steal the best and the brightest, and he would brainwash their worldview and use their skills and their talents for himself. And he never Four of those working in this, this Babylonian training program in Jerusalem were these kids, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And if you've been around church for a bit and you kind of read the story of Daniel, uh, you might know the last two by their Babylonian names. And it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of you guys will know that story in a fiery furnace. They were in there. And Daniel's name restraints the belt of Shadrach. And they came to the for a specific purpose, and that the servants of the Babylonian God to bow. And this is all a part of this process to strip them from their heritage. King Neb wanted to strip them of their beliefs. He wanted to create a new Babylonian people. Literally, King Neb was trying to erase the Torah from Genesis. He was trying to erase the things that they've learned about God and kind of change that them, and when you are enslaved by the enemy of your soul, he will try to do his very best to destroy your identity and who you are. And when you're enslaved, when you're enslaved by, by, by the God of this world, he's going to do his best to confuse you. And I see it all the time with our young people. 
And, and for, for some of you, have been going this for a while, and I, I, I've been a youth pastor here for the last two years, and they always come up to me, hey, Josh, I just, I don't understand this, and I'm just kind of confused about that. And I'm not trying to say that a teenager should know who they are already by the age of 13, but I know for sure that in the society that we live, that a lot of our kids are being Maybe you know who you are in Christ, but let me say this, if God, if, if, if the enemy cannot destroy you, he will distract you. Here, let me preach here for a second. If the enemy cannot destroy your identity, he will distract you. He will, he wants you to sit on the bench. Yeah, that's cool. You can come to church. Yeah, I'm going to come every single Sunday. Guess what? A lot of other people too. But the devil, he wants to distract you and make you just sit in your seat and not get involved. And not come to a place where, hey, hey, I, I want to do something with my life. And God's given every single person here an ability and, and a passion. And he's given you gifts in your life, but you're not using it. So if you're a person from the family where you can think of this about 15, 16 years old, so imagine these words. Back up to chapter 1. They would eat from the king's table. They were taken to palace where their diet would be changed to that. It was like the Bellagio of their times, right? That, that Las Vegas buffet on the surface, man, that sounds amazing, I would say. But it would appear really lucky, you know, high fives all around. Every other slave was working in salt mines. Every other slave, they were, you know, in the copper mines. They were dying of starvation, but these guys, they were brought into the palace of their comfort, but that couldn't be the case. Right, young men who thought right through their whole thing. And he thought, they shaved my head. They shaved my head. They took my coat. They took my character. They're trying to impose their religion on me. They're trying to impose uh, these changes in my habits. They made me a slave to their will. And, and, and they're trying to get me to abandon everything I believe in. They're trying to get me to abandon everything that I know about the God that I serve. And it would make or break the sinning time for this young man to be born. Daniel chapter 1, verse number 8. This is what it says. It says, But Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to him by the king. Let me ask you a question. Have you made up your mind? Maybe you need to circle that today. I'm talking to a young person here today. I'm talking to a young adult. I'm talking to somebody who's been in marriage for over 20 years. Have you decided, have you made up your mind that you're not going to defile yourself with the things of this world, but you're going to live for God? I'm sorry, man. Is this your first time here? And you know nothing about Jesus. You're like, bro, what are you doing? Um, I just, this week I've been talking about that. I struggle with You can't speak up. You, 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 you stutter when you talk. You sweat when you talk. Lord, help me. And God was telling me, I went to a conference last night, and it, it's been this theme that, that has been going on. God, just be who I just be to be the king. Just be bold. You're not serving anybody else. This is for me. 
And I want to challenge you. I don't know how long you've been coming to Senate Church. Have you decided to make up your mind? I'm going to serve God. I'm not just going to sit on the sidelines anymore. I'm going to get into the game. Jesus, in spite of his slavery, Daniel declared the bold strategic murder on his life right out the gate. Go ahead and take this note down. Daniel was committed to honoring God first. Daniel was committed to honoring God first. Daniel said, this is as far as I'm going to go. <laughs> enough is enough. I'm not going to serve the Babylonian king. I'm committed to honoring God first. You know, there's some discussion in historically and biblically why Daniel didn't eat the food or drink the wine, perhaps. And the food, you know, maybe it was because it had been offered to Babylonian gods and idols. And to eat this food, he would have acknowledged, right, um, these Babylonian gods and the worship of those false gods. But Daniel's like, you know what? Another speculation is that Daniel was Jewish, and he didn't know if this food was kosher. So uh, he'd be violating the teachings of Moses. Maybe he's on keto. I have no clue. There are several reasons that we don't know for sure. But we do know this. He made a decision. Daniel had to resolve. He stood firm on what he was going to do. He had made up his mind. This is as far as I'm going to go. This is my guardrail. I'm going to draw the line in the sand. I'm not going to go past that. He was committed to honor God first. But the thoughts about that as we honor God first in our lives, even if that means understand the tie that you're going to be amongst our lives. Can you give me a little bit? Understand the tie that you're going to be. We're living a good life. We're living a more life that it's not going to cost us. And you know what? It could be a The bar is set pretty low because of powers and maybe pushback from society around us. I totally understand that. And Psalms 119 says this, wicked people have set a trap for me, but I have never wandered away from your guiding principles. Your written instructions are mine forever. They are the joy of my heart. Verse 112, I have decided to obey your laws. They foster a reward that is good. I want you to stand this morning in terms of your day. I know that you're networked. We're going straight in this morning, but I want you to understand something about the DNA of our church, okay? This is not a message to give anybody the license to be holier than God. That is not it. That's not coming church. This is not a message to challenge anybody to be perfect. We don't believe in perfect people who have their own agenda. We don't should. I can be perfect. It's not in our DNA. It's not going to be our DNA. But what this is, is this is a call. It is a call up to each and every person today to represent or represent Jesus well where you live, where you work, and where you play. And yes, that involves how we live our lives on a daily basis. We are representing Jesus to the world. It's a call to keep your guardrail high and standard, high as it is. You know what's really interesting about what the Bible says about Cannot separate them 
they go together beautifully with grace and truth. And sometimes when the truth is super hard to swallow, it's hard. That's why we wrap it up in grace. There's someone who has said this. Truth without grace is meaningless. Grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is meaningless. Grace without truth is meaningless. And yes, we live in truth, but we keep extra grace change in our pockets to give out because guess what? same view. You guys didn't vote the same way. You guys, you know, are not the same skin color. You don't do that. And we see how Jesus, this Jewish man, he goes up to the Samaritan woman and he has a conversation with her when he stops for a drink and he sees her and accepts her right where she is. And then the society says, nope. But he loves you way too much to leave you there. So he calls you up 
He calls you up and out of addiction. He calls you up and out of sin. He calls you up and out of the lifestyle that might be disconnected from Him. Wisdom and discretion. Yeah, something my wife likes to say, uh, say to me when we have disagreements. Or, <laughs> or when we, uh, I've only been married for two years, guys, so I'm learning, all right? Um, uh, I like to call it intense fellowship sometimes. Um, she says, it's not what you said, it's... And all the ladies in the house said. <laughs> oh, that was my wife, by the way, who said it loud. It's not what you said. And there's a way that we could be communicating, even the word of God, to people who are far from Him. That breaks down, and it breaks down more than a little chapter two of this church. And it's not like it's going to hurt you. We're going to feel the least bit pretty broken. It's the attitude and the tonality in which you handle yourself in certain situations. It speaks volumes to those who are around you. It might be your spouse. I was born this way, or it's just the way that I am, and I can't change me, and 
Daniel, you know, shows us that even if you're enslaved by something, even if you're enslaved by someone, that doesn't have to dictate whether you will honor God or not. And you might feel like your sexual or sensual drive is not within your control, or maybe your addiction. And I know there's all these extra things that we can do, and, and we can go to a psychologist, psychiatrist, and get counseling and all this stuff. And I think that that is what drives you back to you are. Okay, cool. You want to be the, the kid pastor? That's cool. 
decided to say, you know, God, I'm always with you, and I, when I repented from those things, God protected me and he directed me to Christ. Only one second for me, this is the last verse that we're going to close up this morning with this. God gave the poor young man the unusual aptitude for learning the literature and science of the times. And God gave them a special ability and understanding the meaning of pages and deeds. When the three-year training period ordered by the king was concluded, the chief official brought all the young men Talked with each of them, and none of them impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they were appointed to his regular staff and advisors. In all matters requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, the king found the advice of these young men to be ten times better than that of all the magicians, the enchanters, and the entire kingdom. That's what we like to do.
Thanks again for joining us today. The question now is what are you going to do with what you just discovered? Take a step to connect with us in person? Or perhaps choose to support the ministry of Center Church with your financial generosity? Take your next right step and visit us online at centerchurchsd.com. See you next time.